Welcome to CentCast, the official podcast of the United States Central Command, America's premier warfighting headquarters. Coming to you from Tampa Bay, Florida, with your host, Joe Buccino. Crespo, we've got a guest today, another guest. That's right. We have here Miss Rachel Aaron. You do better with the guests, by the way. I do. Thank you. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> so, Miss Rachel Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hi, gentlemen. I'm, I'm Rachel Aaron, and today we're talking about my favorite topic. Here at CENTCOM, I am the Gender Advisor, and I am the Women, Peace, and Security Program Manager. And that's really what we're talking about this program, and now we're going to dive into it. Awesome. Okay, so let's just go through your background. You are a retired Army Sergeant Major. That's correct. Actually, public affairs. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So you talk for a living. This should be great. It should be easy. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. Uh, we're about to find out if you're good at it. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> okay. And you just retired, right? 2021? Yeah, two years ago. You, and you retired out of, you tried out of, I think, SOCOM? No. Uh, at USASOC. USASOC, which is on Fort Bragg, U.S. Army Special Operations Command. Correct. On Fort Bragg. You retired, took the uniform off and then came here to do this job. That's correct. Before I did this, I came to CENTCOM and I was in communication synchronization. Then I found out about this program and loved everything about it. And I was fortunate enough to get accepted into the position. Awesome. Well, let me ask you a general curler question. Where are you from? I originally am from Silver Spring, Maryland. Okay. But I've been here in Florida so long that I claim Florida. You claim Florida and your team is, what's your football team? It's another general crew thing. I'm Buccaneers. Buccaneers. Okay. Yeah, of course. Even through the losing years, you, you got to stick with them. All right. Look, you know, we focus on, there's three things we do in CENTCOM. We deter Iran, counter violent extremist organizations, and we compete strategically. With China and Russia. That's what we do, Rachel, as you know. People, partners, innovation is how we do them. You are one of our fantastic people, so it's good to know you. Well, thank you. And, you know, I'd like to tell you that WPS nests in both of the lines of effort, as mm -hmm. well as the people, partners and innovation. And hopefully we'll get to that and I can tell you how. Well, let's just get into it then. So what broadly is the program? So essentially, Women, Peace and Security is a congressionally mandated policy framework that recognizes that women have to be critical actors and their efforts have to be shown mm -hmm. in order to achieve sustainable international peace and security. OK. Yeah. And, and, and it's very interesting. Don't mind me taking the lead on this one. Real quick. Uh, I like to call it the 4321 of WPS. Okay. So four, there's four actual partnered agencies involved in WPS. DOD has the lead. Then we have Department of State, Homeland Security, and USAID. Three, if there's nothing you remember from this podcast, the three words about WPS are women's meaningful participation. Okay. Two, there's two kind of components to it. That's an internal CENTCOM component and an external partner component. Mm -hmm. And we call that a model. So we model that good behavior here in CENTCOM, and then we export it to our partners, and hopefully they can employ that good behavior there. And then one is you. Everyone is an advocate for the program. And when I say that, what I really mean is when you walk into a room for a meeting, for a, a SME, a KLE, look around and look to see how many women there are and look in your own group to see how many women are with you too. And wow. that's how we model an employee. Then we start asking those questions like, do you have any women who do that? Or do you have women coming through the pipeline who are going to be able to do that? So we kind of, we don't point out that they're failing at it. We point out that there's an opportunity. So describe meaningful participation. I think it means that it's contributory. It's focused on the mission. It's adding value. It's in combat roles. And it's also in leadership roles. 
It's all of that in addition to what I like to call whole of society. So in in the military, we like to talk about the whole of government. In my program, I talk about the whole of society. So it goes beyond what you just talked about, inclusive of. Um, We want to make sure that women are getting educated. We want to make sure that women can start their businesses, that they have entrepreneurial opportunities. We want to make sure that they're in government, in politics, and the military. It's, It's literally the whole of society. And the reason we say that is because we slowly but surely, especially in our AOR, we want to make small changes changes so women participate. When you take our AOR and you look at it, 50% of our AOR consists of women in every country, pretty much across the world. 50% of society is, is women held. In our society, they really don't have a voice. So the point is, when you only have 50% of the society contributing for the entirety of society, something's missing, something's lacking, whether it's perspective, whether it's advice, whether it's a, just a different way to say things, it's missing. So what we try to do when we say whole of society is When a woman goes into the workplace and her small son sees his mother going to work, that's a small change. Okay. So it's generational. It's not going to happen overnight. I like to call that pushing pebbles. Mm. It's very small. We're not moving mountains. So little by little, we're creating change, whether it's optically, whether it's physically, whether it's just talking about it. It's small changes that we can work through the WPS program to get great change later. It could be, and it could also talk about that empowerment, absolutely, right? Of having women make decisions in these little pebbles, absolutely, throughout the pebbles. I guess. And and it said that during negotiations, when women are involved, peace lasts longer. That's a fact. You can look at any peace treaty where women are there, it's going to hold. Mm-hmm. So what I like to say is when when the nation is sovereign, so we yeah. don't have to worry about our three lines of effort. When the nation is sovereign, when women participate, yeah. when society is secure, um, things just work better. And, and what that does for CENTCOM is we're in the business of contingency planning. That's not really what we want to do. We want to campaign. So when we yeah. don't have to worry about helping them fight for their sovereignty, we can help them secure their plan for security. How is that going? Are you making this progress you're talking about? Are you pushing these pebbles? What's going on? I, I'm glad you asked. And the answer is yes, in small increments, as you can imagine, our AOR is uh, immature and it's very challenging, but I'm happy to tell you that it, I'm getting great reception. So uh, this year I have six focus countries and uh, those countries are Kazakhstan, Bahrain, Qatar, Egypt, Israel, and Jordan. And Israel sort of is you know, new to our AOR, but they kind of set the example of what right could look like. Now, granted, they have a, a conscript military, so everyone serves, but it's kind of like a best practices. You know, when everyone in your society serves the military, yeah. when everyone in your society knows how to use a weapon, when everyone is strong and they get what their, what their country's plan is, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's a little more evolved. So true, yeah. The other thing is that they have a, they live with a, existential fear or understanding of the threats around them, you know, in, in a way that we don't in America. That, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I'm trying to do is uh, bring our, our regional partners together. It's, it's going slow, but we're getting there. Uh, right now, I think Jordan is probably a nice shining example of what could be. Really? Uh, yeah. You know, they've, they've got women in the military. They've got women uh, female pilots, they talk about that a lot. And yeah, the, family. the program grows. They have a whole women's defense center stood up. They're, they're just really doing great things. Mostly it's because the king has females, daughters, who are in the military and they serve and they're great examples of what women can do and they can aspire to be. I want to maybe go back a little bit. You said the region is immature. I think the, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the region is new to these ideas is I think what you're trying to yes, sir. say. And, you know, we obviously look at these with uh, respect for every society, culture, idea, history. 
coming at it, these are maybe new concepts to some of these countries, I think is what we're trying to say with it. It is, and what I like to say, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of pushback because okay. it's new. This this whole concept okay. of inserting women optically in the front where in, in business and society, just like we talked about, it's it's a little bit uneasy. So yeah. what I like to, to say to our partners when I engage with them is we're not pushing women's values in their faces. We're, we don't want to do that. What I want to do is highlight the value of women. So there's yeah. a difference. Right. So we're not we're not it's not a forcing function. It's giving them an opportunity to fill gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of the times through our programs, we'll give them equipment through FMF or FMS processes. And what, what I will say is you have all this equipment, but you don't have the manpower. So start bringing women into the pipeline and fill those gaps. That helps your security. That helps your sovereignty. That helps your stability. So these are the kind of things that we're trying to say, again, not pushing women's values, but the value of the entire workforce. How are you snap linked together with other DOD efforts of quality? Um, in the workforce? Yeah. So uh, I work with my uh, GCC counterparts. I work with OSD. I work with the joint staff. I work with USAID and state. Uh, and together, we're all sort of in this sphere trying to figure out what right looks like. Uh, for, for CENTCOM, it's, it's, a, it's a little slower. Yeah. And DOPECOM is probably the most advanced. But we're, we're all trying to figure out um, seminars that we can do so we can kind of get the word out that there's availability to learn and to train. And that seems to be something that our partner is interested in. So I'm very happy about that. But it has to be slow. It has to be incremental. I, I don't. I, ever, I don't want to hit them in the face with this is WPS. What I like to hit them in the face with is you need training. Let's talk about how to train your forces better. And oh, by the way, we could put women in the pipeline, and this could help you. So it's a, it's it's a little bit that way. It's it's kind of broaching the subject very gently. Yeah, it's at the leadership level. The top level, the chiefs of defense and, and maybe that level of management, because, you know, the, those militaries that we're talking about are very top driven, you know, as opposed to ours, where it's kind of, you know, command is in some ways decentralized and there's leadership up and down and decisions rendered up and down. So I'm wondering, how is this felt? How is this received by the chiefs of defense? You know, as you know, Rachel, these are militaries that are very top down driven for the most part, the militaries in the region. So how is this received at the very top of each of these militaries? That's a good question. And I would say each region, each nation uh, handles it a little differently. Mm. I'm finding that the GCC countries, the wealthier countries, are a little more receptive to it because they're the ones buying equipment and there's gaps that need to be filled right now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, I have to say Levant is doing a great job. Okay. They're, they're progressive. They're getting there. Lebanon has pilots, wow. despite the fact that they're going wow. through kind of chaos right yeah. now. Uh, they're doing a great job. Israel's doing a great job. Iraq is surprisingly doing well. Wow. Um, just the programs are, are just doing remarkably well. I already mentioned Jordan. So Levant is sort of really up and coming. Gulf countries are, are getting after it. Casa? It's, it's a little slower because they have influence on the left and the right side. So uh, when I went to Kazakhstan last time, I spoke to somebody and they said, you know, we're between the bear and the dragon. It's a little challenging. The bear and the dragon. That's brilliant. Between Russia and China. OK, got it. You talk about Iraq being a shining example of their efforts there. Are you including the Peshmerga and, and the Kurds uh, organization in there? That's in that's um, that's a really good question. And the truthful answer is I have not been on the ground okay. in Iraq to, to work this program. So they're standing up and they're definitely inserting women, peace and security efforts into their programs. So, you know, that's a it's a coalition still. Um, But, for example, Iraq has what we call a national action plan. Every country is supposed to have one. U.S. has one. And it's how they're going to employ their women uh, and how they're going to integrate into their country plan. So not just the military, but again, all of society. Uh, Iraq is doing a great job and they they're constantly having WPS like engagements and they want to learn and they want to do better. And they realize that their women are great Uh, when it comes to the 
Kurds on the kind of the Syria side of it. Um, we don't have diplomatic relationships with them, so I don't interact with them. We can get to Al Hal, but I don't know if you want to get into that whole business yet. Um, but on the Peshmerga side, I think that they want their involvement, but it's complicated. I imagine all these national plans, as great plans as they they could be, or they they, they are, operationalizing that becomes a, a challenge. I would imagine. It, it is definitely a challenge. And, and again, everyone is a little bit unique. And, and here's a little vignette I can tell you. So one of the challenges that they have in, let's say, Qatar, which I, I think is very interesting, as advanced as they are and as wealthy as they are, they don't have a process where you can call your doctor uh, and, and do a phone call with them, like a video chat to find out what's wrong with you. They don't have a way to call and book an appointment. They have to physically drive from their home to the hospital, which is where the clinic is, make an appointment. And, and usually they're not available. So they have to go back home for three days and three days later, go back to your appointment. And so what happens is it's a, it's a small area of landmass we're talking about. So you have all these cars and all this traffic and people aren't feeling good. They get in the small clinic. You're spreading germs to everyone. So people are just getting more sick and they can't be seen right away. So this whole process happens day in and day out. So the idea became, what if we could build the infrastructure and the technology so you could do telemedicine and you can video chat with your doctor and then just also call and have an automated appointment line where you can book your appointment on the spot. It's a small thing, but that's totally necessary. And then that would help. you got to figure the women act as the caregiver. They're responsible for taking them to the clinic and, and home. So it's a little more challenging for them. So, all right, this all sounds like it's important and it sounds like it applies to all the things I talked about up front about uh, deterring Iran, you know, because we're obviously we're building capability across the region. It ties to the fight against ISIS, you know, certainly with the uh, Syrian Democratic Forces and our partners in the Iraqi Security Force and compete strategically. You know, this speaks to their values, the, the value of women and the value they place on military service and the social fabric unto itself. It's a great program. I, I'm in love with this program. I think there's so much value. I think it's it's innovative that other nations, our competitors aren't doing things like this. Mm. You might see a Russian colonel, or you might see a Chinese colonel, but I don't think there's a lot of WASTA that comes with that. I think there's sort of figureheads and, and that's kind of where it ends. We're legitimately trying to build a force that helps with recruitment. It helps with retention. It helps with our sovereignty and security and stability, everything that goes with it. And when those nations are secure, violent extremist organizations don't have white space to enter. There's, there's not a vacuum. There's no void to fill. So it keeps them at bay. You know, we're, we're talking all the time about um, building partner capacity because we're physically there trying to help them. We're not going anywhere. This project is here to stay. We're here to help. There's no ulterior motive. And they recognize that. So all this goodness really comes from the program. And then if we can get those extra gains, it's just equally beneficial for CENTCOM as it is our partner. Uh, one thing that I definitely want to make mention about, which I think is a great innovative way to help professionalize the military in these countries is through the NCO pipeline. So wow. we, we've been fighting okay. a lot with the idea that uh, we have a, an officer corps that we're constantly grooming with our partners, mm -hmm. but the NCO corps just really lags behind. And as an NCO, I always want to see this professional development. So I've been talking uh, with our senior enlisted advisor, Fleet Walters, yeah. and he's, on the show. he's highly engaged with the with NCO um, building partner capacity. I have said, let's bring women through this pipeline. Oh, wow. This is a very, yeah. very easy way to bring women through that they don't have to fight with the men at the officer level. It helps professionalize the NCO Corps. It inspires competition among the men in the NCO Corps to do better. And I'm hoping that we can elevate the professionalism with our partners, with the NCO academies, and then bring in some of these really stand up uh, NCOs to stand in front of these women and, and the men and, and tell them what right looks like and to educate them and to let them know that this is a team and this is a way to build their country and make it stronger. Well, I think it's important for the region. It's important for security and it's important for the world. And uh, we thank you for doing it, for leading this program and for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It just is a pleasure to, to talk about the program. And um, I, I look forward to seeing great things happening. Thank you for your time.